The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Wheel Bearings. I'm Dan Roth. I'm Sam Abu Al Samad. I'm Rebecca Lindland. We're all finally back in the States. Uh, I guess, <laughs> oh, oh, Rebecca, you were the only one who was missing, but um, yeah, welcome back. <laughs> Thank you so much. And it's been a lot. I- I've missed it, and it's nice to be back, and I appreciate you guys accommodating my schedule, so thank you. Not a problem. I'm just uh, just glad you, that, uh, you know, you didn't have any um, gastrointestinal issues, you know, from drinking or eating something inappropriate or, you know, that wasn't, that your body was not accustomed to. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Do you know what's really funny? is that, First of all, I am too, but second of all, yesterday, which was my first full day back, I actually did have an upset stomach, which is hysterical (laughs) because the first meal I had coming back, of course, was pizza because I love pizza and uh, and it actually upset my stomach, which was hysterical. So (laughs) So I'm trying to ease back. Let's dig into this a little bit. Pizza from where? (laughs) Oh, from this. um, It's called our curry pizza in the little village of Coscob near where I live. And my buddy Nick. I, I have them on speed dial as I come back from the airport and they make this amazing like Italian style thin crust pizza and then also these strombolis that have all different kinds of meat in them and that are just to die for. And they actually have amazing salads as well, which I've had once or twice. <laughs> <laughs> so that sounds like it's, I, I'm, I very much appreciate the whole uh, take a road trip for a pizza thing. We actually found really good pizza in Kennebunk. Oh, um, nice! Which was uh, amusing to me because it's like it's it's vacation land, Maine. <laughs> yes, it's seafood up here. But uh, I know there was there was good pizza there, and and so that's that's one of the things that um, I, I like to be aware of uh, where the good pizza might be. And then you, you hit the Midwest, and the pizza is very different. Not not bad, different. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you know, every region's got their own unique take on you know a lot of different kinds of foods. I mean, here. You know, we have in, in Michigan, we have pizza with corners on it. Yeah, <laughs> Look, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but but the beauty of that is, you know, you get more corners, more edges, you know, the, that that crispy edge on the on the pizza. And it's great. You know, Buddy's Pizza is fantastic. What, what's the <laughs> other one that's been there? Uh, Lou Malnati's. Uh, that's uh, that may be a, that might uh, be a uh, Chicago thing. I think. Yeah, I think that sounds more like Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, everybody's completely bored now, and so uh, we're we're back for episode one hundred and one, and uh, we're going to talk about what we're driving first. So, uh, Rebecca, you had the Rav Four. Um, Sam, you've got a Nissan Maxima SR, and I have the F one hundred and fifty Raptor. So we'll talk about those, and then 
topics wise we're gonna hit the uh if we get to them all we might get off on a tangent so uh we'll, we'll try to hit a tangent all us yeah no, us uh, <laughs> uh but uh, we want to talk about the mid-engine corvette apparently twisting up uh from from its raw power uh rivian's modular design and uh cadillac's new badging scheme yet another badging scheme for cadillac <laughs> that's going to clarify everything so with for, without any further ado, uh, let's get into it. And, and Rebecca, let's um, let's let you go because you're back on on U.S. soil and you're driving the uh, the Rav Four Hybrid. So, yes, and I'm dri- now driving on the right side, not the correct, but the right side of the road again, <laughs> which is very exciting. Uh, yeah, so I've got I it's a pre I believe it's a pre production. I actually don't even have a window sticker for it, a Moroni for it, but it's a 2019 uh, Toyota Rav Four Hybrid. Uh, and this is an all-wheel drive vehicle. Uh, it's got a 176 horsepower, 2.5 liter inline four uh, gas engine. And then it has a two-speed CVT with overdrive for the transmission. And That's uh, a little unusual, a, a, a two-speed CVT? I, yeah, that's what it says. I know. I guess uh, they, maybe they, they put in a second gear set, you know, to, to give it like an extra long, uh, uh, you know, range for highway. Yeah, I, I, uh, I'll I see. I will search the site as we, the press site as we go. But I think there's something to that about taking some of the, the bandiness out of it. Um, okay. Uh, okay. So it's, I, I've driven, I probably have put a little, about 125 miles on it. I picked it up at JFK, and the first thing I noticed was it just whines. I mean, it's, it's, you know, I feel like I'm con. It's constantly kind of straining. First of all, it looks great. Yeah, I it do has, love the new design of the, right? the Rav4. It looks really, really good. I haven't always liked these really expressive designs, but I don't know. There's just something really appealing about this one. And it's got blacked out rims and it's just, it's kind of cool. It's just, you know, like um, I noticed people looking at it. I, I drove by a construction site the other day and I noticed, you know, the, the cop that was there definitely looked, you know, I looked back no, and he was no, looking at the on. car. Was it the car? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I might have smiled at him. He was cute. <laughs> but you know, it was just, it's the kind of car that you look and say, gosh, what is that? So it's, I really like the looks of it a lot. This one is the silver sky metallic. Um, it's got a midnight black roof. It's got a nice big sunroof, really cool interior. So the, you know, the car itself, I was, I was trying to kind of get into the mindset of somebody who would buy this car. And, and one of the things that, you know, what kind of commute would this be appropriate for? Uh, when I was driving it on the Merritt Parkway in the southern part of the state here, there's a lot of hills. And I actually put it in active cruise control to see how it would respond. It kept the speed pretty good. I kept, I, I, I had it at 65, again, sort of trying to mimic um, a, a typical driving situation. And it did okay. It just... I just felt like it constantly was straining to go up and down the hills, even when I took it out of active cruise. Yeah. Well, so to be fair, the merits like that with a lot of cars that have you have 3,500 pounds and 200 horsepower, yes. uh, it's just, it's hilly. Uh, it but is. I, I think that 
it's probably made worse in the hybrid because of that. It still has a CVT and it doesn't have a ton of power. So it's, it's just going to exactly. hunt, you know? It, 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 exactly. And then, you know, certainly um, I had it on 95 today then, which is a flatter drive up to my mom's place. And it, and it was a little bit better, but at the same time, if you're trying to, you know, kind of zip in and out of traffic or something, or you need torque, it's not really there. Around town, it's great. You know, I think it's a perfect car if you've got the type of lifestyle that's running a lot of errands, if you're, you know, just constantly going back and forth to school, to work, you know, in this kind of errand sort of life. I think it's great. I'm getting 35 miles per gallon, which is fantastic. I, you know, and, and, and the car itself is terrific. I bought a couple of really cool vintage Lucite chairs today and it swallowed up, swallowed them up with no problem. So there's plenty of room, really comfortable. My mom got in and out of it very easily. I'm getting it in and out of it. It's a comfortable ride. There's heated seats, heated steering wheel. I, you know, overall, I think it's really nice. I think it goes for about $35,000. Uh, so it's not cheap, but you know, again, the gas mileage is terrific. Um, the only thing I have to mention is that one thing that ergonomically I didn't love, the heated seat, the heated steering wheel button and the trunk release button are right next to each other. Ooh, and, that's not good. Right? And you actually have to look around the steering wheel to find the heated seat, heated steering wheel button. And so it's very awkward ergonomically i was really surprised by that and i didn't want to press the trunk release button while i was driving in case it actually opened <laughs> does it have an electric uh uh hatch on it it does yeah so i so i was thinking maybe that they've they've done something where it, it doesn't open if the car is at speed but yeah now you've got to try it, it well that's the thing right <laughs> so i'm going to take it there's a little lane across from my street that I can try it on. And so I'll do that in the morning. Um, but that was the only thing that was really, it just, the layout was very disappointing for me. And from that standpoint. Yeah. I tend to like the, the heated steering wheels, which is sometimes I can't find them on certain cars. And the, the places I tend to go are usually it's buried in some sort of sub menu in the touchscreen, but also a lot of cars have it on the, the side of the steering column, like where the stocks, uh, Oh, oh, so some, some of them are there. Um, hmm. Although the Maxima I was driving had it on the uh, on the left hand side of the dashboard, like on the lower part of the dashboard. So it had the the heated steering wheel and the um, lane keeping assist uh, buttons right next to each other. Yeah, this is similar. It's on the left side. But as I said, yeah. what was, what was surprising to me was first of all I couldn't see it, and second of all, right next to it is the trunk release. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you know, if yeah. you if you pop the trunk and drive around like that, you'll yeah. get carbon monoxide poisoning and you won't need to worry about how warm your hands are. <laughs> so it's fine. Um, so the transmission, I looked up the press release. The What they talk about with the, the hybrid is uh, big changes in the gear train yields significant efficiency improvements. The new transaxle mounts the electric motors coaxially rather than inline. So I... I'm, try, I'm trying to think like that means there's sort of so they're, so they're around the they, same axis, but they're not necessarily like on the same yeah, shaft. 
Right. So the, uh, the, the, the traditional Toyota hybrid system up until now, you've had two like kind of disc shaped motors that were, you know, stacked, uh, next to each other. And then the planetary gear set, um, this one, the, you've got one motor, actually you've got a hollow motor and then the second one is inside of it. Oh, that's clever. Hmm. Yeah. So from a, from a packaging perspective, that's it, kind of interesting. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, the thing that it mentions here is about, you know, having this um, secondary uh, reduction gear as a parallel shaft gear uh, rather than the planetary gear. So, you know, just to... Yeah, that one, quick, I can't quick, picture that in my head. I need a diagram right, so, for that. Right. Well, <laughs> basically, you know, one of the issues with, um, you know, with the hybrid, most of the, like the Toyota style hybrid systems up until now, you know, the way they do the 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 cvt functionality it's not like a, a steel belt like you know like just a plain old regular cvt but they actually for for a planetary gear set that you have in an automatic transmission you lock you know different components either the ring gear or the sun gear or, or one the, of the or planets the, or, yeah. the, or the planet gears and mm -hmm. you lock one of those and ground it to the case um of the of the transmission with with clutches so with mechanical clutches the way um, you know the the uh, the way the uh, the Toyota style hybrids have done it up until now, it's actually uh, one of the two motors that is tied to the planetary gear set, and depending on how much current you feed into it, you you can basically oh, get a variable lock, yeah. yeah, which which effectively gives you that continuously variable gearing, and so it sounds like what they've got here is this parallel uh, gear. That's running, going around it, so that when you when you when it engages this, which is probably at higher speeds, it essentially um, bypasses the electric drive altogether and just does a straight through gear drive. Oh, I see. Is, so it's like a direct drive kind of thing. Yeah. Right? So it's much yeah. it's much more efficient. Um, you know, there's almost no mechanical loss from that, uh, and that's that's actually the the basic premise of what GM did back what 12 13 years ago with the two mode hybrid system with the volt is, right because that was the big thing that uh everybody got um yeah but even before arms. that with, with the two mode hybrid that they did on the suvs um oh i forgot about those trucks, <laughs> you know it, it had it had those extra clutches added in to lock the planetary gears so that you had higher efficiency at when you were driving at highway speeds and also like if you were towing or something huh well i mean that it I, it seems like it would just make it settle down a lot more on the highway. And uh, if, you're, if you're not trying to climb the hills in Western Connecticut, uh, it, it would definitely give you that increased um, fuel economy when you're, when you're out sort of doing 65, 70 miles an hour where you don't need, you know, the hybrid's not going to be useful. So um, it, it was interesting to hear you say as well, like it doesn't feel like it has torque uh available have you did you try the sport mode i haven't tried the sport mode yet i uh, so I've, I've got to play with that a little bit more i really wanted to kind of see how i could do maximizing on the fuel economy you know and and i was i was concentrating on that it just i don't know it's i it, it is a vehicle that that i feel like you're giving up quite a bit uh, but if fuel economy is your main goal, then I think it's great, you know, but, and again, I think it's, you know, it's a, it's a great size for, for around town, for running errands and, and getting, you know, pretty good fuel economy. So it's just, 
if that's your focus, then I think it's it's a good choice. Well, they've they've reduced overlap too. They don't make the Prius V anymore. So if you wanted something larger than the regular Prius and more of like a, a crossover, this is your choice. Right. Um, does it have nav? So it has that stupid end tune. Oh, sorry. It has that. So <laughs> no, that, that's it, right. It has Toyota end tune in it. Which is, <laughs> and it's, it's got. Um, it doesn't have Android Auto. So yeah, I, think I think they're going to be adding that soon because uh, they. I think they just uh, they just launched that on the Avalon. I think. Okay. They, they added Android Auto support there, and I think they're going to roll it out to the rest of the lineup soon. So I actually had a very hard time just connecting my phone for some reason. It took a few different tries. I and eventually, obviously, I knew I knew it could happen. I just wasn't sure what it wanted from me. So that that was a little annoying. Um, but what I don't like about having to use the Entune or being forced into Apple CarPlay or Android Auto is that you don't even have a map up like even if I if even if I don't put anything into the nav I like to just have the map you know like just for reference and so that's you know I I haven't really enjoyed the end tune situation um but that's what it has so so it's it, got end tune but doesn't have nav well, the the nav is part of Entune. Oh, okay. All right. I didn't so know. You, so you have to use an app to... Yes, uh, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Right. You have to use their Entune app. Right. In order to get... In order to and, have and nav. And to do that, you have to you have to have an, an Entune account, you know. Right, so, right, and, and all that and stuff. In, and in our case, you know, if we don't own the vehicles, I've, I've tried in the past, it, you can do it, but it's it's kind of a hassle to set up an Entune account. And, really? And get it, Yeah. What? No, I just don't understand. Like, who thinks of these things? Why would I want an end to? I guess that uh, the, the account because, probably because, helps. I guess if you wanted to like well, look up I mean, stuff there, on your there, phone there, and send yeah, it to the car. There's, yeah, there's other functionality, uh, you know, that they provide. You know, that is specific. You know, to to your vehicle and your account. You know, for things like vehicle health reports and things like that. Ah, it's just another password to forget. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> another thing to another email that like they sell your name to some other lists or uh, whatever. Uh, the the reason why I ask is that um, with the hybrid, it has predictive efficient drive is what they call it. Um, and so it's using the nav to analyze where you go and compare it to its GPS map and um, adjust the uh the behavior of, of the powertrain so that it is trying to regen as much as possible and be as efficient depending on, you know, what, what the conditions are. If, if you're going on curvy roads and stuff, it'll, it'll try to put as much back into that battery as possible. And it, it also, I think what it does is it analyzes um, when to, uh, when to charge as well, or it analyzes how you charge your, your consumption. So yeah, there's, that seems really interesting. There's constantly, uh, the, the, the power flow is always up on the screen. Uh, which again, I tried to kind of keep an eye on to see, uh, could I get some more regen from the brakes? You know, when was I coasting? When was it, you know, when was it more efficient? So, you know, I think, I mean, for, again, for people that this is a priority for, I think it's a really good choice. I, but I do think that you're, there's some 
quality of experience that you're compromising on as well. So I wouldn't classify it as a non-compromising hybrid it's, or, or transparent hybrid either. I'm very aware that I'm in a hybrid CVT vehicle. So beyond that, though, it's, it's so it's a compromise in terms of the drive, but it, right. everything else is, pretty, you know, all the things that make the RAV4 popular, I'm assuming you're, you're not, you're not giving up cargo space for the batteries. Otherwise, it's just a RAV4. Right, right. Aside and, from and again, the tailgate I, release. Uh, right. <laughs> and I, again, the styling is, I mean, this is probably one of my favorite RAV4s in a while. Um, the styling is very expressive. It's a lot of fun. Uh, you know, it looks great. It's a, it's comfortable. It's very comfortable to ride in. It's quiet. You know, there's a lot of things that are good about it. And, and I really am, I'm very curious to drive a non-hybrid to see how it is. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of all the things that you want from a Toyota. So, you know, very, I think it's probably going to be really reliable. It has, uh, you know, nice features in it, good pricing. So there's a lot of really good things about it. Uh, and, and I would, I definitely would like to see about riding, driving a non-hybrid to just experience that. It looks like the uh, the hybrids are all uh, all all wheel drive. They're standard. All, all wheel drive is standard. Yes. And uh, and the pricing starts at just twenty eight thousand dollars. So that's that's not too that, bad. That's actually a really good price for our, for the hybrid. Yeah. 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 It's. It, I think it's a very good value. Um, the one that I have is all dolled up, um, and so I think it goes. I think it, it's probably in the, that thirty five range. The you got the limited. Yes. Yeah. I think yeah. I have the limited. So thir- yeah. So 30, 35, seven plus, you know, thousand bucks for the, um, delivery charge. So 30, 36, 37 grand. So that's not, yeah. that's not bad. It's, you know, it's, it's the average price of a vehicle, right? I mean, it's yeah. exactly average. Um, the, it does have a charging pad that's very accessible, which I like as well. I, uh, and you know, and I, the, the cluster in the front, you know, the, um, steering wheel's comfortable. The cluster gives some good information. It's, you know, so overall there's, you know, knobs for the, the radio is very easy to change. So there's, you know, the controls are easy to understand. There's a lot of really good things about it for sure. I, uh, and I, you know, I love the size of it. It's, it's terrific to zip around town. And as I said, there's plenty of cargo room in it. So I think there's a lot of really, really good things about it. Uh, and you know, this size vehicle is incredibly popular, but you know, the RAV4 and the Honda CRV are absolute stalwarts in this, in this category. It's, I th- is, is the RAV4 the most popular or the best selling Toyota? Uh, I don't think it is I don't yet. Think so no, mm. um, it, I think it's third behind still behind, uh, Camry and Corolla. It might be oh, second yeah. now. Yeah. Those two are going to be hard to beat. <laughs> yeah, still. But no, it's it's been it's been good. I've had it for as I said, I've had it for two days, uh, and I'll definitely check out some more of the features uh, as this weekend in particular. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move All on right. to the uh, the next car, Sam. The Maxima SR. So we talked about the Maxima a little while ago because it's new. Uh, and and we were kind of scratching our heads because well, actually the ultimate it's, so, so it's yeah I mean the 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 Maxima is um, has got got a refresh for 2019 model year. Well, when uh, they so refresh them, they put out the press release and they say all new, no matter what, it's all uh, new. <laughs> first in, in ever this, in this case. In this case, <laughs> I don't think they did use first ever or all new. 
they 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 announced the the 19 at the LA Auto Show in November, and I don't recall seeing the words all new or or uh, or or you know first ever. You know, it's 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 just a mid cycle refresh. You I'm know, got some tweaks to the grill, uh, got some uh, some interior tweaks. You know, nothing nothing major, but you know, it it's not that it it didn't really need much. You know, I, I actually I I really like the Maxima. It's a very think, expressive car. Yeah, it looks. I, yeah, I think it it looks actually to me it looks very French. Um, yeah. it just has Caribbean. that. Yeah, it has that swoopiness to the style. Yeah, no, and and you know it's it's quite fun to drive. Um, you know, it's still got the the classic uh, Nissan VQ, three point five liter V six um, transverse mount. It's front wheel drive with their Xtronic CVT, um, and and Nissan does CVTs about as well as anyone. Um, mm. You know, they're uh, you know that it behaves more or less you know like a conventional um, step ratio automatic transmission so you don't you can't you don't can't really tell that it's a cvt and you know the sr is the sportier model although you know sportier is a relative thing here because you know regardless of which trim level you get they all have the same powertrain in them and this, so you know it's not it's not going to be any quicker really so the 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 sr um has you know a little bit sportier interior look you know it's got uh this contrast stitching is orange orange stitching uh, against the black uh leather uh it's really nicely done inter interior the one i had has the um what is it the sunburst uh what they call it the sun sunset the, drift the sunset drift chroma flare chroma flare yeah, <laughs> yeah. Which chroma is, flare which is quite a it, it's not a subtle color but i actually really <laughs> like it it's 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 a good color and I think it works really well with the black wheels, the black 19-inch alloys. Uh, so, you know, I like the styling. I generally like the drive experience, although this this particular SR, the ride quality seemed stiffer than I recall on previous Maximus that I've driven. Um, and, you know, this time of year in Michigan, the roads do tend to get a little bumpier um, as a result of frost and, or, you know, freeze and thaw cycles. And so it, the, you know, it, it did not feel plush. Let's put it that way. Um, it was not, you know, it was not terribly uncomfortable, but, um, you know, I think it could have used, you know, maybe a little bit of retuning on the, on the damping, uh, you know, to, to give it a little bit more compliance. Um, but aside from that, I didn't really have any other complaints about it. You know, it's got, uh, the, this new one has, um, one of the updates is it's got uh, Nissan's latest infotainment system, which is the same interface you'll find in all the other current Nissan stuff. Um, you know, it's, it's fine. It's not, it's not the cleanest interface, uh, out there. Um, you know, it's not, I don't, I don't think it's as good as say the Hyundai Kia, uh, UI, but it, it works okay. And it does have support for Android auto and CarPlay. Um, although, you know, when you, when you plug it in, you know, some different, different vehicles, you know, different brands, um, have different, uh, it takes a different amount of time once you plug in your phone for it to actually, you know, bring up the Android auto interface. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, on Hyundai's and Kia's, it usually comes up almost instantaneously, but on, on this Nissan, it was a little bit slow to come up, but once it did, it worked fine. I had, you know, no issues with it. So, um, you know, if I, you know, when I started the car and went to back out of the driveway, 
um, you know, it usually was not, you know, the inter- the Android Auto interface wasn't up before I shifted into reverse and started to back up, you know, and then you get the rear the backup camera view until you put it in drive. So, you know, I couldn't select what I wanted to hear unless I sat there and waited for, you know, 10 or 15 or 20 seconds before it finally came up. Well, it's got to steal all the data from your phone before <laughs> uh, and send it to the mothership. Before, um, you know, that, the one thing about uh, Nissan UI and infotainment is they've been remarkably consistent over the, oh gosh, 10 years, 10 plus years I've been uh, driving their media cars. I remember the, the you know, first Nissans I had, had the, the they had Nav and uh, up until a few years ago, it was really, really similar. Um, and not in a bad way. Like their, their speech recognition system was, was always pretty good. Um, and this, it, the systems weren't necessarily as deep as what you'd get out of say, um, the, the Ford systems, like, uh, especially sync three now is probably, um, a lot more capable, but because they were limited, uh, they did what they did pretty well. You know, and, and so is that still the case? Is it still sort of feel like, you, you know, like you get in and you go like, oh, yeah, this is a Nissan. This feels like home. I, I know what to do with this yeah. stuff. And, you know, it's, you know, after a couple of days, you know, you 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 under you quickly understand where everything is and, and how to use it. And, you know, so it's it's not it's not it's not really a problem. It's not like some systems, you know, where it's just it just never feels comfortable. This one, you know, after a day or so, it, it feels it feels fine. Uh, and it's reasonably responsive, you know, aside from just the boot up time for Android auto, um, you know, the rest of the system, the screen is responsive and it, you know, when you swipe through or tap on anything, it, it, it reacts right away. So that's not an issue. And it doesn't have the, um, uh, the, the really terrible screen that I've seen that like the leaf had when I drove that last year, uh, which was just, you know, it was just a, a bad quality display, you know, it was the same same user interface, but just a, the dis, the actual display itself was a very cheap display that didn't look good. Uh, this one was a much better looking display, and you know, since this is you know Nissan's quote unquote four door sports car, uh, you know, it has you know big paddle shifters behind the steering wheel and for the CVT, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, and, and they are the style that are mounted on the steering column, you know, so more, you know, performance, uh, oriented style rather than the, the ones that are actually attached to the steering wheel. So they're stationary and they stay, you know, so they're the big long paddles. Yeah. So this is a matter of great debate. Uh, where do you come down on this? I, I feel personally that if you're going to have the, sh- the paddle shifters, a, they should be attached to the proper transmission, but also they should be attached to the steering column like Nissan does it. Because you always know where they are. If they're yes. attached to the wheel, yeah, and they should be long like the mm. Nissan ones. You know, the, the a lot of them. Well, are yeah, little, I mean, if, yeah, if you're gonna, ones. you know, if you're gonna, if you're gonna have them fixed on the steering column, then they do need to be long. You know, so that when you're making, you know, um, smaller uh, steering inputs, you know, you, you don't have to um, move your hand around on the steering wheel. Your hands can stay in the same place as you turn the wheel. Uh, you know, and then you can still reach your fingers out and tap those paddles. You know, if you're, um, if you're using, you know, if, if they're mounted on the steering wheel itself, then you can have short paddles. Uh, so yeah, these, these are, these are the proper style. I think, you know, okay. it, all, all it needs is a proper transmission to go with them. 
Yeah, I mean, it, I'm still confused why they don't don't just put the GTR powertrain in the, in the Maxim if they want to make it the four door <laughs> sports car. Um, you, it, and this one especially, it sure is orange. Look at that color. Um, that's a, it's quite a striking color. Does yours also have the the quilted leather and you know the interior in pictures looks really posh. Yeah, no, it had it has the quilted leather and everything, and you know it's it it's a very premium looking interior. Yeah, know, so very interesting details. Yeah. Huh. So I did not ha- I did not have any complaints about that. Really, the only complaint I had was just about the ride quality. I thought was a bit on the stiff side. I wonder if that's because the car is a bit on the old side. Uh, that could be. I mean, you know, like I said, they just did a refresh. You know, so I mean, that's the sort of thing that. You can easily update during a mid-cycle refresh, you know, change some damping and change some spring rates. But I think it's more because this was an SR version um, and, you know, it, they just wanted to give it that sportier feel. Okay. All so right. There's actually the, the platinum version that's one up from this. Right. And I think that's I think that's a more um, luxurious setup than the uh, than the SR do you think that the suspension would be softer on that? I think so, yeah. Yeah, it'd be interesting to try it. Yeah, I'll have compare. to check into that. Well, speaking of sporty things that have soft <laughs> rides, uh, I have the, the F-150 Raptor that is, um, it, it's a truck stang. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it really is. It, it's very sporty in that sort of off-road way. That the the Raptor is you just want to drive over everything because uh, <laughs> it it will do it. I, I backed out of the drive when we still have some snow here, so I turned a little too soon and just you know drove over like a two foot tall snowbank without much of a problem. Just a little bounce, it's like oh, I guess I guess I drove over the snowbank. <laughs> you, you just drive around crushing things with it, uh, and That's it's awesome. it's 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 great at what it does. It's definitely not the truck for me. Uh, because it's big and it's obnoxious and it's hard to place in its lane because it's so big and it's, it's really not, a lot of people buy them and they, they use them as a regular car. Um, which, which seems insane to me, but it it is because it's, it's set up to be soft. So it's, it's comfortable actually. And it's quiet in the cabin, but it's also, it's got those big tires on it. And so it, it tram lines a bit and it's, it's, you know, you got to keep a firm hand on it because it's 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 about as so good as it's going to get. Why is it set up to be soft? Because when you're going 80 miles an hour over the sand dunes in Baja, <laughs> you Which, you want you know, that compliance. We we do that every weekend, right? Yeah, yeah but of but, course. Yeah, the, sure. no, the softness is I think because it's it's really yeah. like if you want to think of it as a as an off road truck, it's a it's kind of like a pre runner. Um, okay. So it's really well suited to being out in that that sort of like desert racing environment where you can go kind of flat out and uh it can just skip right along and spend right. you know like 60 percent of its time airborne yeah i mean you know this thing's got a huge amount of wheel travel and you know a lot of articulation in the suspension so i mean it can go over you know it goes over all this stuff without any issue at all yeah and you know the you know the ford likes to talk about you know the the fox dampers that they put on there and it it Which works are, great on those. No, the, but, so I, you, you look at this truck and you see where all the money went. Um, oh, yeah. Because th- those Fox dampers are very, very good. They're also, 
you know, very nice to look at. They're just a nice piece of hardware and they, they are not cheap. So there's that, there's a lot of aluminum, heavy duty aluminum stuff in the suspension, the lower control arms in the front are these big, long castings. It's, you know, it's impressive. And it's got the, the 3.5 liter, um, EcoBoost in it. That's definitely plenty powerful. Um, it doesn't sound like the V8s did. The V8 Raptor had that roar that was really nice. Um, but with the 3.5 EcoBoost, it's it's got a lot more torque down low. It's got the 10-speed auto, so it it settles down pretty well, and it it gets just as terrible fuel economy, so it doesn't really matter. Uh, but it's it, it, I have a hard time with it because it's it's a it's just such a handful. It, it's it's about as good as it's going to get in terms of being easy to drive, and it is pretty easy to drive. It's just it it wanders if you're not constantly kind of watching it it's 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 gonna drift over to the shoulder it's gonna you know like and you get this big wide truck with flared fenders and big tires and it's tall i was a little concerned that the fleet guy was actually concerned too that it wouldn't um fit in the the parking garage when he dropped it off so i said yeah just leave it around the other side of the building um and it did it made it i, I tried it the next day and the the antenna bounced off the ceiling um but it, you know, it's it's a truck that's very popular, and I I guess it's the what you could kind of factor of it. You know, it's I don't think they're they're used as much for what they can do as what you could do with it. Um, mm. And it's also it's a big thing to have off road um, if you're you know, doing some rock crawling or something like that. It's 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 a lot of truck. It's got a long wheelbase with the the four door cab, so. Um, I mean, people are going to buy them and Ford's going to make a lot of profit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it, it's the kind of thing that can rock crawl, but you know, it's really not as well suited to that as a Wrangler, uh, you know, just yeah. because it is so big and wide, you know, uh, but you know, it can go just about anywhere. Uh, but it's, it's better suited to that kind of open desert environment. Yeah. I mean, these are or, very or popular. Dunes. Um, if you do like snowmobiling or something yeah. like that you, you see a lot of them hooked up to to uh recreational trailers and that like you know pulling stuff that's not super jet, heavy you know jet ski yeah jet skis and snowmobiles and things like that yeah we see yeah. them here all the time you know heading up to northern michigan during the winter time yeah it's a good up truck yep <laughs> Uh, and I think it, it looks it looks great. Oh, it's and fantastic! I love the yeah, and the, yeah. the one that I've got is it's this. Uh, well, I think it's like Ford Performance Blue. Oh yeah, that's gorgeous. It's 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 really really nice looking. Um, it uh, they definitely nailed the styling. It's very aggressive looking. It's super comfortable and quiet inside. You know, the cab is huge. Uh, the seats are really nice. Um, which is sometimes an issue with Ford. Ford seats can kind of feel mm-hmm. cheap sometimes. These are these are nice. Um, and I'm impressed with how refined it feels. Um, mm. You know, it's it's quiet. It, it it definitely has the the high travel suspension and the 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 big tires and wheels on it, but it it doesn't jiggle a lot. You know, it's very rigid. Uh, I, I guess as rigid as a full frame truck can be. So it it you know it feels really quite refined going down the road. Um, and it's it is it's quiet. It's a lot quieter than I recall of the earlier Raptors being so it's it's a nice place to be i still don't think the interior feels like it should cost as much as it costs because it, it like you look around and you go okay these same pieces are in the xl mm. <laughs> like yeah. 22 um 
and and I think Ram does interiors better, uh, but Ram doesn't make a Raptor. They only make a Rebel, which is not yeah not quite. The, I mean insane. yeah I mean the the Rebel is not quite as high a performance vehicle as the Raptor, but it is a lot of fun to drive off road. You know I, I I drove it off road last year out in Arizona and it it was a hoot and it's it's pretty quick. Yeah and well and it has that V eight roar yeah. that you can't you can't get in the uh, in the Raptor anymore so. Um, yeah, I, it's hard to really say a bad thing about the Raptor. It's the F-150, which is a pretty good truck, and it's the, set up the way people want it. You know, Ford knows what people want. So it's been a tremendous sales success, and, and you can tell why. Um, the, the really my biggest issue with it is that the, the interior materials feel chintzy, and that's my biggest complaint about every F-Series. Uh, no matter what they cost, they all feel kind of cheap inside. And it was weird to me to read a uh, car and driver did a comparison of the top three um, domestic brand trucks, and and Ram certainly came out on top, but they they seemed really impressed with the F series uh, interior as well. And I thought that was strange because it doesn't to me it doesn't measure up. Well, you know, you got to compare it to a to a GM. Wow! <laughs> I, I wish I could. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, I've heard they're not good. They're not as good as their competition. Let's put it that way and leave it at that. Yeah, I think that Ram really upped the bar yeah. when it comes to the interiors. Oh, that, that 2019 Ram 1500 is such a nice truck. Yeah, and now with the new the tailgate, it's it's that much better. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, I didn't have as much problems with the GM pickup truck interiors as others. I mean, I think there's some good things about them. I like the size of the knobs if you're wearing work gloves mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But the materials are are just something that it's like just just improve that a little bit. Just get that right. And it's GM continues to struggle with some of their interiors. It's a little frustrating. Well, and you know, the GM thing too is like it's probably not any less expensive. It's probably actually more expensive, but it looks cheaper. <laughs> yeah. Know? Like, um, but yeah, actually, the ergonomics are, are a good point. Um, you know, in in the F series here, there's there's a lot of little buttons on the stack, and I'm sure Ford has done a pretty good job of making sure that you can use most of it with gloves, because um, that, that's a big deal, and that's why the door handles are so big on the, right. the trucks, and the the shifters is also rather large because that is an issue if you're going to use it um, as you know for work, and those parts just carry over. It looks like the steering wheel looks super busy on the Raptor. It's There's a lot of buttons on it. It's got a lot of buttons. Yeah, they're not hard when you like some of them you're not using all the time. So sure. there's there's a button there to adjust the the variable steering feel. Um, there's another one. You know, there's the, the the pair for the phone. So you only really use those when you're making or, okay. or dropping a call. Um, so it's it's not like you need to be futzing with it all the time, but. There's also those multi-directional buttons that I don't know what they all do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, um, that's that's to you know swipe up and down on the pages on the instrument cluster and things like that. Right. Yeah, and so the, that's the left side. The right side actually does the the audio system. Yeah. Mm. Um, but the audio system is not too far away, and it has knobs, which you right. know, makes it easier to use than push buttons on the steering wheel. And I, a lot of times, I find that. Um, like if you're listening to the radio using the if you wanted to switch stations it'll only switch through presets and some cars let you set that um but a lot of them don't 
and so I tend not to use them because like I when I want to switch I, I generally want to scan I don't want to jump from preset to preset um, but yeah it's it that's not that bad the the uh, sync 3 system was actually surprisingly pokey and I don't know whether it was just like once I started it up and and you know, like you, like Sam you were saying where you, you get in and you you do your sort of initial thing like you select whatever you're listening to if you're listening through your phone and and you know get that all buttoned up before you go and sometimes the systems are still kind of going through their power on self tests and whatever behind the scenes so it it takes them a little while to respond but it was annoyingly pokey um huh. like noticeably so but gen generally it's fine so there's just been a couple of times where it's been laggy and uh so i'll keep an eye on that and see whether it's just like a startup thing or if it's just sometimes you catch it flat-footed yeah, it's um I've I've generally had pretty good success with Sync 3. Uh it's usually pretty responsive, so you know, maybe maybe there was some particular issue with the one you're driving or maybe maybe they've had some software update that uh um that caused a, caused an issue since the last time I drove one. I don't know, XM updated while I was using it tonight. It's just like <laughs> it's just like XM has been updated, like Skype updates. You know, we've yeah. improved your experience, except for we haven't. Hey, there, you know, it's 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 just like a Tesla. You're getting over the air software updates. Right, that's great. <laughs> um, no, I mean it's it's certainly it's a it's a really good truck. Just and hope it's... they don't update your brakes while you're driving. Yeah, <laughs> uh, this this one still has hydraulic brakes. It's fine. All of that yeah. stuff feels great. You know, um, driving wise, it's it's faultless, and so they did they did the right stuff on it and. Until somebody actually comes up with a credible uh, competitor, they're they're going to own the market for sports car trucks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think uh, I think when when uh, Ram finally brings out the power wagon, or not the power wagon. Uh, what did they call the? Do you remember what they called that one, uh, Rebecca? The the high performance truck. They confirmed last year at the uh, Capital Markets Day that they're going to introduce it next year. Oh. The, the power wagons, the off-road, heavy-duty. Um, anyway, Ram's bringing out one next year, so we'll see. We'll see how that one does against uh, against the uh, Raptor. I'll try and dig it up. Yeah. Okay. It's not the. It's, it's not. No, the Warlock is the. Um, that's a version of the fifteen hundred. The the old fifteen hundred. So. Yeah. Anyway. Rebel? No. No, the Rebel's the current. Light duty off road, yeah, but it's not it's not a high performance one. Ah, okay. Anyway, let's let's move on. All right, well, let's talk about sports cars though. Um, so the mid engine Corvette that has been a rumor for forty five years that that the, the Don Sherman has been hunting for forty five years. It, what's his obsession with that? <laughs> I I honestly don't know. Um, he as long as I have known Don. He well, actually, far longer than I've known Don. I've been reading Don's stories about the the mythical uh, unicorn known as the mid-engine Corvette, um, and you know he has been he's been convinced you know for decades that this thing was coming, and for for a while for you know for quite a while you know when the the first prototypes and when we started seeing the first spy photos of the uh, you know what appears to now be a reality, um, I was I was. I was thinking that you know GM was just trolling Don, and they had just built a <laughs> built a couple of tube frame uh, cars, you know, just just to drive them around, you know, throw some camo on it, and just drive them around 
just you know where they knew the spy photographers were going to be just to get don's goat but it, it does appear now that they actually really are doing this one um and so uh you know it, the question is you know when are they actually going to introduce it i mean we've been seeing photos of this thing for so long and uh don don's now writing for uh haggerty magazine haggerty insurances magazine oh he's not and... writing for car and driver anymore nope oh those guys uh, have I vacuumed think... up everybody oh yeah yeah haggerty's uh, been growing like crazy yep um so uh his his latest article on the mid-engine vet for for haggerty he goes through some of the reasons why it was delayed um and the the most the most interesting recent one, you know, there, there was some store some rumors uh, a few months ago that there were issues with the electrical system, which we'll come back to in a minute. Um, but uh, more recently, you know, there's uh, what Don has dug up is apparently there have been issues with the um, on, on the the high performance version of this thing, which is reputed to have uh, a twin turbo V8 with between 900 and 1,000 horsepower. Um, that it does uh, got so much torque, it's twisting the back end of the chassis and <laughs> cracking the uh, the glass panel over the engine, um, which is not good. Uh, that's not the kind of thing you want in you know a thousand horsepower sports car. Yeah, what actually causes that? Um, I guess you know if the if the rear end structure, you know, depends on on how this thing is set up, you know. But if the rear structure is not stiff enough. Mm. Um, or perhaps if it's too stiff, you know, I mean, that, that's also a potential problem because it, it, what it may be is, um, you know, if it's too stiff, it, you know, it could also transmit, you know, when, when you rev, when you rev a, a really powerful engine, you know, you're going to get some, some twisting of the engine, you know, the, the drivetrain, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, if it, depending on how the, the structure of the supporting that is set up. You know, it's going to transmit some of those forces, especially as you accelerate. So you got the combination of the engine itself is going to twist. And then when you're trying to put down, you know, 900 to 1,000 horsepower through just two wheels, um, there's there's also going to be a lot of reaction forces from the suspension, um, you know, and, and the tires. And so that can cause the, the, the rear structure to twist and potentially shatter that rear glass. Yeah, but you'd Crazy. think that they would like have run it through. I mean, whatever they're they're using to, uh, you, you know, the like finite element analysis and stuff, just to see like, are we going to turn this thing into a, into a banana boat or, or or what? So that I was very skeptical about that particular passage. It's just like, is this just hyperbole nonsense? Just to, to it throw us off the center. It certainly seems like it might be. It just it seems so strange to me like we're going to get to this point where we've had prototypes you know ostensibly running around for a couple of years and they they don't know about reaction torque <laughs> yeah i mean you know and like i say it may be something that has only come up as they've started testing you know this higher performance version um you know who knows it, it's it's hard to say um you know it, it could be any number of things um but back to the electrical issues, you know, one of the things that they've done in this uh, car is apparently it's one of the first to have this uh, a new uh, global electrical architecture that GM is implementing across its new models. And, uh, you know, there apparently have been some issues with it. 
Um, you know, there's not a lot of detail on exactly what's new here. Um, but, you know, a lot of modern cars, you know, have as many as, you know, 100 to 150 individual little computers scattered around the car to control everything, you know, from your power seats to mirrors and, um, you know, the, the, the powertrain and transmission, uh, suspension and, and lights and everything else. And all these things have to talk to each other. And, you know, if that doesn't all work smoothly, then that's going to cause problems. And I guess uh, today Jalopnik uh, got wind of um, a, a Corvette prototype that was at a gas station uh, in Milford, Michigan, near near GM's Proving Grounds. And uh, apparently they the guys driving it could not get it restarted. <laughs> and they were messing with it for about 20 or 30 minutes uh, before they pulled out the cover, put it on, and waited for a tow truck to come over from the Proving Grounds and haul it back. Oh. And And... Actually, you know, going back to my engineering days, I've actually had experiences like this. Fortunately, it didn't never happened to me, you know, outside of the proving grounds, but I've had it happen, you know, when I was driving at the proving grounds, you know, doing testing. And, you know, uh, this was when I was working on uh, the brakes for uh, the two mode hybrid version of the Saturn View, which never made it to production, uh, got canceled before it made it to production. But um, there were on a couple of different occasions, you know, as I was driving along, it just died. Everything, it, everything just went the, you know, all the lights went out. That sounds like the know, standard the, the Saturn experience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, no, I mean, kind of like yeah, a Corvette but, with electrical problems. Gosh, yeah. I'm shocked. <laughs> you know, it was more, more, more like, you know, the classic British sports car experience, but yeah. you know, it's like everything just shut down and it would not restart. Yeah, you know, and all I could do, you know, if, on a few occasions, I was, you know, if I waited for ten or fifteen minutes, I could, I could get it to restart. But there were a couple of times when I actually had to call back to the garage and have, have a truck come out and push the car, push the the test car I was driving back to the garage. It was, it was that dead. Um, so you know, when you're when you've got something this new, you know, it's not unusual to have these kinds of problems. Although. As late as we are in this program, it does seem a little bit odd. You know, you, you'd think that they would have had these kinds of things sorted out by now. Uh, but that that's probably why they still haven't launched this thing. I, this is probably not the only reason why they haven't launched it. I mean, and to like that story about it being broken down, I was uh, a little bemused to see it pop up in, like, breaking news coverage. Corvette prototype test mule breaks down. It's like, yeah, no kidding. That's, that's what <laughs> test mules do. Like it's not a not a not a big deal. It doesn't mean they're all going to be lemons. It just means that like it you know this particular one that broke. That's why that's why you do development testing. You you know, things are you want things to break during development, not when they're in customer hands. Right, and if it's a really efficient car like an Alfa Romeo, it'll do both. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, I guess. I guess we really are going to get a mid-engine Corvette. Is that finally going to happen? Uh, it certainly seems that way. That that would appear to be the case. They're not going to uh, do like we'll... Corvette Classic and then like uh, Zora or whatever they want to do. Well, the, they, they, apparently they are going to continue to build the C7 for a while. Mm. Um, and the, the plant in Bowling Green has been set up to build both the C7 and the C8. And uh, the latest rumors from Mr. Sherman are that that 900 horsepower version will be maybe called the Zora uh, after uh, Zora Arcus Duntov, who was the the original chief engineer on the Corvette 
uh, from like 1955 um, up through the early 70s, I think, uh, when he retired, or, or mid, mid-70s. mid I think he retired about 75 or 76. Um, and uh, So it's his fault. You know, he, it's his, yeah, he, well, was, he, he was he talking was, about he was the mid-engine the, rotary engine. Yeah, he, 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 built, he built the first mid-engine Corvettes, you know, back in the— I think the first one, like the Serve One, the CR- CERV One, yeah. was actually uh, about 1957 or 58, and they built a bunch of them throughout the 1960s and into the 70s. Uh, and only only after he retired did they finally slow down the pace of mid-engine Corvettes. But you know, for a while, you know, they're in the in the mid 70s, they were very close to doing a mid-engine Corvette powered by a four rotor uh, rotary engine. Uh, but yeah, you know, that that program got killed. Um, and that's why we have AMC Pacers with the 4.2 liter six in them. That's right, because that <laughs> which was not that, supposed to go there. That, that <laughs> car was designed for for a rotary en- for a GM rotary engine. That never happened. Yeah, that, that yeah. that's that whole uh, '70s optimism around the Wankel was um, uh, interesting. It's, it's like well, it's like the EV craze now, and it just maybe not quite as overheated. Um, yeah. Well, back. Back when I was in, in school at, at GMI in the late '80s, um, you know, I took uh, I studied engine design, and in the engine lab, in the storage room in the back of the engine lab, uh, there was one of those prototype Wankels was actually sitting on a shelf uh, in there, and me and a couple other guys actually toyed around with doing an, an independent study um, class one one semester and seeing if we could get that thing running again. <laughs> Did you succeed? Uh, no, we never did get around to it. <laughs> that's, that's too bad. We 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 had we had other priorities. Ah, graduation's so overrated. <laughs> oh yeah, there was that too. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Um, all right. All right. Enough Corvette. Yeah, let's talk about uh, electric pickups that um, continue to look like they really have their act together. Uh, Rivian just. From the outside looking in, they seem like a really impressive company that has a lot on the ball. And so the uh, most recent thing that we've seen from them is a modular design um, for their uh, their sort of truck platform. So you could switch it around to be like a flatbed or uh, a normal truck bed or almost like a, a you know truck bed with a cap or, or like a more traditional SUV. So, uh, I mean, it, it, this is like... It, it, looking at it, it's like this echoes everything that was like the '50s great optimism for 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 uh, the the new space age, better living through chemistry cars, and uh, they just seem to be really sharp about bringing that kind of thing back and and making it updated for the actual 21st century. Well, I love this the modular pickup truck bed. I mean, I think the renderings of it are really, really cool. And there's, it, I mean, I don't know how feasible it is, but the flexibility that it's demonstrating in terms of different usages, different configurations, I, I think it looks really, really great. It's it's a fantastic idea. Yeah. I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm looking at the, it the, is. The, um, the animation of the renderings right now. And, and yeah. um, the biggest... The biggest issue I can see with it is the same thing that you get like when you have a Jeep with the hard top is where mm-hmm. do you store all the different pieces? Because they're big. Sure. They are big. And I also 
I wonder, like in particular, looking at the full SUV module, how easy is it to get on and off and how does it connect? You know, how does, has it all kind of connect in with each other? Um, even the low side pickup box. So I'd be really curious to see how these interact. But I think the idea of all these different modular systems is brilliant and it, and it just looks really terrific. Yeah, it's just a matter of, like you say, the execution and, you know, how, how you're actually going to utilize these pieces, you know, where, where you're going to stash them. Um, you know, and that, that is that, you know, that tends to be a problem. You know, I mean, we, very, various companies have tried, you know, approaches to, you know, modular vehicles or inter, you know, interchangeable body panels over the years, uh, you know, back in the, was it the early nineties, I think maybe late eighties. I don't know if you remember the Nissan Pulsar. Yeah. Oh um, yeah. With the wagon. Yeah. So yeah. they, you know, the, the base Pulsar had sort of a notch back hatchback uh kind of set up and then they had a a wagon body style on you know or wagon cap that you could put on there it was you know kind of a little shooting brake and you know the the idea was you could you could buy both and you know swap back and forth depending on what your needs were um and i i don't think anybody ever actually did that mm -hmm. but you know it, it was it was an interesting idea yeah, you know, there's other ways you can make that work too. Like we've seen uh consumers get really comfortable with the idea of um subscriptions um and services. Right? So it it could be that and you're not you're not doing like like what what Porsche is doing or or you know like subscribing to the car line, right? Um that other automakers are also doing. You're you're subscribing to a truck bed. You know, so you could go to your yeah, Rivian I mean, dealer and do a subscription model. That would model. be an interesting approach. Um, and, and swap it out. Um, you know, and then they, they, because then you could have the central location for the unit and you could have trained staff that can get them, you know, on and off quickly, make sure that all the, you know, the electrics and stuff hook up correctly. And you could have the rig to do it uh, with, with the room because not everybody's going to put a hoist in their garage, right? So, <laughs> right. Uh, and not everybody has a garage. So, uh, you know, there's there's clever ways to do this stuff, and I th I think that that's something that solving that is going to be the key to it. You can design these kind of things all day long, but um, whether or not it actually catches on it really comes down to, to execution and how easy you make it for the buyer. So that's what right. I'm curious and, to see. And you know, the the skateboard, the electric skateboard chassis that the Rivian truck has, you know, makes it you know inherently easier to do something like this. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see if this is enough, you know, if they do execute this well, would it be enough to bring people into the brand? Because it does provide a tremendous amount of utility and flexibility. I, you know, especially if you can make it, um, I don't know what the SUV unit looks like, but if it adds seats or something or just, yeah. you know, it's, I mean, it's just a, it's a very, very intriguing model uh to look at you know it's it, i remember when i saw them um at the was it the la show I yeah think it was they in did LA. something right uh and just thinking about the brand and thinking about people you know and and pickup truck buyers in particular as we've talked about before are, are very loyal and so you know is this an opportunity to get maybe Honda Ridgeline buyers over there instead or even tesla buyers 
uh, into this brand because you know you need to get people that are very uh, you know early adopters, more risk oriented, willing to try a a really unknown brand and plunk down a ton of money for that. So it'll be interesting to see uh, the type of buyer that goes after this vehicle or you know, once they start taking deposits, who who really executes on it? Yeah. The the key, I think, is to not get too far out there with gimmicks, you know, the gee whiz, yes. wow stuff. And, you know, um, we've seen Tesla actually get too far in that direction versus, uh, you know, doing doing something really that's solid and, uh, from a usability and a consumer perspective. You know, Rivian already has the attention of, I think, potential buyers and certainly those of us who watch the industry, you know, that their, their product looks really good and it's really well thought out and we're all pretty impressed with what we've seen so far. If they execute all of the, the basics in a, in a solid way, you know, where, the, where do you get them? How much do they cost? How easy are they to get? Are they, you know, how is easy is it to service? What's the, you know, the, the parts and support network? All of the things that we're watching some of these other companies fall down on, uh, those have to be really, really well done. And then, then maybe talk about how you implement your swappable modular bed thing. Like that, that's a cool thing to have. But if the rest of the experience sucks, <laughs> it's not going to matter. Yeah, exactly. All right, so let's move on to um, speaking of experiences that suck. <laughs> I was waiting uh, for it. <laughs> Cadillac's new badging. <laughs> you know. Uh, because, you know, it just wasn't confusing enough. Yeah. <laughs> this is so we, – we, we in the uh, sort of like media production business notice this. Every time there's like a new CMO that comes into – uh, a company, whether it's, you know, one of our own companies or whether it's like a client company, right? The first thing they do is rub their smell on it by uh, changing, changing the brand. I like that. Rub their smell yeah, on seriously. It. They, they like, you know what? We're going to do a new logo like, and a different like tag. Dog that's got to, got to mark his territory. It's exactly right? what it is. And it's like, you know what? We're, we're going to take this, this uh, company that really needs to be concentrating on other stuff. We're going to burn a bunch of time and energy doing something that doesn't matter, but that I can point at that I did. And, the, the oh. you know, so we're going to change the logo. We're going to change the tagline. Uh, we're going to put out something that everybody can notice. And I can say that I was responsible for. And that that's what this feels like, because Cadillac just got rid of uh, Johan Denishin not too long ago. They they decided it was a year ago. Yeah, that's not too long in the car business. I well, I, yeah, it depends, but uh, <laughs> for Cadillac, it's not that long. <laughs> um, the uh, they decided that they no longer want to be down in uh, Manhattan, um, and they were they were like very focused on being the meatpacking district car company. Um, and so now they're they're back in Detroit, which is like that's fine. Um, but they feel the need to confuse people. <laughs> I don't. Well, I don't get it. Okay, so so let me let me defend what they're doing here. What, why uh, don't we explain? Least... Why don't we explain what they're doing first? Yeah. Okay. So um, you know, in the past, you know, Cadillac and, and other manufacturers, you know, they have often put uh, badges on the cars to indicate you know which engine is in the vehicle. So you know, for example, 
um, you know, on an ATS. Uh, you know, you can get it with a two liter turbo or a 3.6 liter V6 or a three liter twin turbo in the, in the ATS V. So you would have a 2.0 T badge or a 3.6 badge or a 3.0 TT badge on the, on the trunk lid. Um, now what Cadillac is, has decided to do is they're, they're, they're actually not the first to do, to go down this path. Audi actually started doing it a couple of years ago in Europe. They haven't brought it over here yet, but they're doing it in Europe which is as they're you know as they're starting to think about you know the future when they're going to have more electrified powertrains you know how do you describe those on the car you know how do you indicate you know what exactly what kind of powertrain is there do you need to and, do you need to indicate the powertrain Just- well there that that is that is that is one argument you know is that um you perhaps you don't need to do that um alternatively um, you know, if you do want to indicate that, you know, how do you do that, you know, across a range of different types of powertrains, like, you know, hybrid, plug-in hybrid, battery electric version. And what Audi came up with was to have a, a two-digit number code that corresponded to the power output of the powertrain. Um, so regardless of what the, you know, what kind of whether it had an electric drive or a plug-in hybrid drive or or anything else, you know, it would have this uh, this scheme. Now let me find it here. Um, you know, so it, it the numbers ranged for for Audi ranged from uh, thirty up to seventy. Uh, you know, and they kind of binned the power numbers. So anything with a thirty had between one hundred and ten and one hundred and thirty-one horsepower. Forty-five would be two hundred and thirty to two hundred and fifty horsepower, and so on. Uh, and 70 would be for anything with 540 horsepower and up. So, so German and complicated. So, <laughs> well, you know, that way, you know, uh, you know, if you had a, a seven, you know, a, a 70, you know, like a, a, a Q8, you know, 70, you know, regardless of whether it had a twin turbo V6 or a plug-in hybrid or a, an electric powertrain, you knew that it had power in that range. Cadillac is kind of doing the same thing, but instead of, you know, numbers that don't exactly correspond directly to the power, they're just using the uh, the torque output of the powertrain in Newton meters, which, of course, everybody in the U.S. understands what a Newton meter is, right? <laughs> I mean, so here's the thing. Um, we don't use the metric system here unless you're buying drugs on the black market. Uh, so <laughs> nobody's going to get this. Nobody's going to understand it. Well, and, and it's actually, not. and the thing is that I think it actually could alienate some people, you know, that domestically oriented consumer that goes in and is told, oh, you know, this is, we're doing this because we're trying to appease the global market and it's metric. And I, I can just see some, you know, particularly older buyers being like, no, you know, this is not, this is a domestic luxury brand and, and that's what it should be focused on. I mean, I'm not saying that's the right attitude to have. I'm just saying I can see that attitude with some people going into buy. I mean, I just feel like what Cadillac really needs right now is, is, um, some brand equity because they've just blown it up like every five years for the last 20. So like they bring back the stuff. Terrible Terrible stewards of the brand. Yeah. Terrible stewards. I mean, really good cars, just just confused execution all the way around. You know, like they've got, um, 
you know, like we talk about their, their sedans, right? They've got great sedans. They completely missed the boat on crossovers and now they're playing catch up. Um, and I, I don't know if the crossovers they've got are going to be unique enough. Like the, the XT six that we just saw, it kind of gets a shrug. It's like, yeah, okay. It's a three row. It's a tight three row. And it's, it's, it's nice looking, but it's not, I don't, I don't know. I like, I don't know if it's actually fully competitive with the, the, the brands that they're chasing. It's a, it's a step in the right direction. Um, but like, if you really need equity out of cat, like if you, if you want Cadillac to get some notice, put friggin' like Fleetwood, Coupe de Ville, you know, Eldorado, like all of those names. Yes, they're old. And, and the part of, I think what they want to do is avoid that, um, that idea that Cadillac is an old person brand, but, uh, that's history too. And what we see domestic automakers constantly doing is they just throw away models that they, you know, spend billions of dollars to develop and brand and get mind share. And then they screw something up so that the, that model gets a bad reputation or, or, you know, something happens. And so they decide that, you know, that's not worth anything anymore. So we're going to come up with a new name. And then it's going to be the Cadillac what for 10 years. Yeah. And so again, for the last 15 years, we've had the Cadillac what, and they keep shifting the ground underneath us. It's like, I, I, you know, and and, and Audi is doing it too, to a certain degree, but also certainly infinity. And there's just like one guy who's the reason for that. Um, so yeah, there is, there is that common thread. There is, there there? sure is. Absolutely. Um, but you, you know, and and I don't mean to be a traditionalist because I, I I certainly don't think that Cadillac needs to return to the days of the the, the land barge, but the names resonate because um, they they sort of they roll off the tongue for a large section of the buying public. Certainly, anybody who's a little younger than me, you know, if you're in your early or even mid thirties, you might not know all the names, but. You know, when I was so you're saying that instead of a 2020 Cadillac CT5, we should have uh, a, a new Seville. Sure. Why not? And nobody else has names in that segment except for Lincoln. Lincoln's bringing yeah. names back. Right. I mean, I just I just think it's it's a it's almost criminal that how this brand has been treated, and it's still it's. Cadillac like that has meant something you know for for generations and there's just there's got to be you know there's got to be a better way I mean I think that I fear that if they were to start bringing back classic names that then people would just say oh they're just they're copying Lincoln so I think they missed their opportunity when Lincoln was flat-footed and not doing anything, I think that you know they could have brought back the Deville. They could have brought that, but but you know, it, GM has has struggled with their history, with how do they leverage their history without being stuck in the past. Yeah, they haven't. You know, they haven't really been able to do that very well. Um, but I just, you know, I just think that there's there's got to be a better way than than the path of to success than through Newton meters. I just don't think that's, <laughs> yeah. I don't, you know, well, you know, um, as a, as a marketer, uh, I, 
I want to take people by surprise. And so I'm looking at this going, well, okay, I would rather not put out more confusion. If, if this is my, my campaign to imagine yeah. or, or my, my thing to, to counsel my client on. And so, you know, you're really like, you're going to have to spend money to establish this in some way. If you, if you really want it to stick and you want it to stick quickly, like you're going to have to advertise on this and uh, market on it and get people talking about it. So there's, there's an effort that you're going to have to put behind that. And we'll see what Cadillac does. Uh, you know, so there's, there's talking points and that could work for you, but what probably would work better is to actually leave those like powertrain designations that don't really mean anything off of the car and go with a much more like a Rolls Royce approach and be like, it's adequate. And if you have to ask, like, don't worry about it. They're all, and this is the wrong, if you have to ask, it's the wrong car for you. Right. Like mm-hmm. they're all good. Our, our performance is from, from, and you can't say adequate, I guess, in that range, you, from exemplary to stellar or, you know, and like, yeah. you can start building your idea around that approach. So you haven't actually spent any money to make new patches and affix them to cars and create confusion. Um, and then, you know, each version of that model is equally special. Um, and, and really then it's down to the individual buyer to pick just the right one, you know? So yeah, you know what? I think I want the ATSV. And so you've got you've got a little bit of a variation there. Where of course you're going to put like the V because the V series is special, like AMG is special to Mercedes. Um, but it's it's this weird kind of status symbol to put like what engine your car has on it on the back of it, right? Like, and I do this. All- and, well, you know, and the, and the funny thing is in Europe especially they strip you'll find off. That a, yeah, a lot of people you can you can actually order your car without any badges. Yeah. You know, you can order it from the factory without any badges. And a lot of people, you know, if they if they didn't get it without badges, a lot of times they'll take the badges off. So you'll see a three series and you have no idea which version it is. Well, I wonder, is that because like you don't want your your neighbors to know that like you you make enough to have, to afford the taxes on the uh, <laughs> like the big engine high performance? Well, one? I mean, you know, I mean, for who knows? I mean, it could be any number of reasons why. Uh, and Rebecca, maybe you have a better thought on that. But I, I mean, I, I know that's something that I noticed when I was in Europe. You know, is a lot of times you know they don't have uh, don't have any badges on them. Yeah, they're they're very discreet in many ways. I mean, it's 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 enough for the owner to know, you know what right. what they bought. And you know, Dan, to your point of the idea that uh, you know it's it's adequate or it's appropriate right you know it's appropriate horsepower you know it's it's kind of you know this is what we do this is what we know and the badging is is often very very subtle in europe um and not necessarily something that's exploited but again i i still think that we we have to we have to respect that domestically oriented buyer and, and find out what they want. This isn't Cadillac is not about how to do things well in Germany. Cadillac is about American luxury and it is the premier American luxury brand. And that's what we need to get back to. They need to, in, when you have to, when you're rebuilding a brand, a lot of times you've got to get back to 
what made the brand great in the first place. And it's not uh, it's not a naming convention. It's not an alphanumeric number. It's not how many how many numbers you can put on on the back of the vehicle. It's you know you've just I I just think you've got to return to the roots and return to the foundation and rebuild from there. Well, okay. This brand has been has been battered. So let's let's do a little ideation session here. Okay. So like returning <laughs> to the roots of Cadillac is um no no more verbifying of nouns. Please. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the their most uh famous claim initially was standardized parts, and so they called themselves the standard of the world. So if you're gonna if you're gonna return to that, which I think you very well could, um. And not to relaunch it in a retro way, uh, but just to say we're still the standard of the world. And like we're, we're the car everybody chases. Uh, whether or not that's true, that's how you position it. And, right. and you say, like, you don't even need a badge. Like, you just it's a Cadillac. It doesn't matter. And it's true, right? We, st- we don't say it's the Cadillac DeVille of um, coffee pots. It's the Cadillac right. of coffee pots. So it, right. it doesn't matter what right. particular model or even powertrain it has so you can pull that back to say it it is the standard we set the standard we're still the standard it's a cadillac it does doesn't matter you know like it very that's your sort of through line and that's that's all i got tonight (laughs) (laughs) no but that's but that's it's, so, it's so you think everything in the Cadillac lineup should just be a Cadillac with no name? No, no, no names. you can have the name, of course, but like I think that getting more granular than that is kind of it's it, it's. I I can understand how you'd want to, be like, you know, I I bought the one with the big engine, uh, but that's that's um, that's maybe not as important as you might think. I guess. I I don't know. I I think I think. They when again, in my mind, when you are rebuilding, you simplify. Yeah. You don't make it more complicated for people. You simplify. The last thing you want to do is have a dealer take the time to explain all these letters and numbers. You want them to to it's, it's you, just, you can't be making it more complicated. I mean, I so and it, I'm trying to think. There has been a, a naming scheme within GM that was based on the torque of the engines um, in foot pounds. It didn't. I don't think it made it to the actual like model name. I, I think like mm-hmm. the Electra two twenty five was a two hundred and twenty five inch car. Like it was. It, that's the long Electra. Um, but I think some of the Buick and Oldsmobile engines, the the number that was on it was actually its torque rating, not its um, horsepower or cubic inch displacement, if I recall, back in the 60s and 70s. Yeah, there's like Series 62. Well, the, yeah, the, so the Series 62, yeah. you know, that's like the sort of limo Cadillac, right? And the 60 Special right. was like, so there's there's some of that that is historic. And I don't, I think that actually went out in the, in the 80s um, with Cadillac. Well, and again, that's, I think, you know, we're... We don't have to solve their problems tonight, but I mean, I would mind. really like to do it for a paycheck. So if they'd like to call, yeah, me, exactly. <laughs> I'd love exactly. a car account. <laughs> I just, I think, it, I think the main thing is the simplification. Yeah, I think they've made it even more complicated when they need to go in the other direction. Sam, what do you think? Do you want the badge in the back of the uh, car? No, not not particularly. Uh, 
Yeah, like, like I said, I, I understand, you know, what they're trying to achieve with it. I don't think it's necessary. Um, you know, and, you know, uh, you know, as an example, you know, if you go back to the, the late 90s when Steve Jobs first came back to Apple, you know, before he came back, you know, the Apple lineup in the mid 90s. Oh, was a was mess. Sim- <laughs> yeah, similarly messy. You know, you had all kinds of different Performa and Quadra models, all of which had their own unique numbers that, that didn't mean anything. And, you know, they he basically gutted the lineup, said, OK, get rid of all this stuff, you know, and there's the, the classic, you know, Apple thing with, you know, for uh, you have uh, pro and consumer versions and, um, you know, desktop and laptop, you know, the four quadrants that, that you know, but, I mean, all that Apple made was was phones and those or computers in those days. Right. Yeah, and they got they ditched all the numbers. You know, you just had, you know, you had iMac, you had Power Mac, and you had you know PowerBook and i iBook, and that was it. Yeah. You know, and then over time it gradually got you know more complex as they expanded the, the lineup. But uh, you know, still it it was it was fairly they kept it fairly basic. And I think, you know, that's probably the approach that Cadillac should be taking now. Is as you say, keep it keep it simple. You know, get just give each model a name. You know, ditch ditch the CT and the XT branding, give them names. Uh, you know, whether it's new names or you bring back some classic names, and then from there, um, you know, that's all you need. Yeah, and I like I certainly I don't want to sound like a bunch of grumpy old traditionalists. Um, I you know I just think the names are are um, a quicker way to capitalize on something that you know there's still a, a ember of uh, recognition out there, so you're probably going to have an easier time. Um, you know, they're going to do what they're going to do and we're going to watch and throw, you know, throw stones from the sidelines. Uh, you know, the, the Apple example is really, um, apt because even now while they have a lot more products in their lineup and it does get confusing when you start to compare some of that performance stuff, or if I need to repair a machine, you know, like we've got, well, you, you don't have to do that anymore with Apple products. Well, no, you just throw them away. (laughs) Um, But (laughs) But, so like, we've got, that's a whole other story. We've got multiple MacBook pros that we're supporting. And so they could even look the same and be separated by six months. And they're, Mm. they're different, you know? So like, I have to go in and and look and see which one it is. And if it's, you know, MacBook pro version 11.1 instead of like 10.9, they're different. And so some of the parts don't fit and some of the, you know, some of the stuff is, is just, it's a little different that though. Like if you want it, you can find the information and if you need it, you can find it and you can, you can make sense of it. And so it's the same kind of thing with the, the cars and, and I, yeah, I don't know. We'll see what they do and we'll see how, how, uh, how well they do. I mean, the, the problem Apple had in the nineties too, was that if you really wanted a good Apple, you'd buy a power computing. Yeah, <laughs> like a clone, and, and so it's kind of like if you want a good Cadillac, you buy a, I don't know, fill in the blank. Um, that's the problem they should avoid. Um, yeah, we've we've got we've finished that one. We're, we're yeah. definitely definitely done. Hey, I I um, I I want to know a, a couple of things actually. I was curious what you guys thought about um, the mad proliferation of of scooters as a mobility solution um because everybody's really upset that they're clogging up the streets in places and i'm I'm just uh I'm, I'm curious about how much we think that that's actually like the solution to urban mobility issues that like 
you know, Ford is investing in scooters and, and uh, everybody sees them as the, the kind of the next greatest thing. I, I think in principle, it's, it's not an entirely bad idea. I think that there, there's a lot of, prom, there's a lot of promise to the idea behind micro mobility and, you know, providing people with options for how to get around. I think, you know, the, the chaotic way that it's been rolled out over the past year, and it's funny, I'm heading out to, uh, to California this week on Sunday for uh, the NVIDIA GPU technology conference um, next week. And while I was there last year, um, you know, it, the second day that I was there happened to be the day that they launched uh, Bird and Lime scooters in San Jose and San Francisco. And, you know, I walked out of the hotel and, and all of a sudden there's these scooters everywhere all over the sidewalk, you know, and you know, I had to go over and look at one and, you know, look at the, the brand on it. And I pulled out my phone to figure out what the hell was going on, why there was all these scooters <laughs> everywhere. You know, and I think that, you know, th this is, you know, this, this is actually um, a good indicator of, you know, some of the things that we need to do. Um, you know, as we approach the launch of autonomous vehicles in the coming years, you know, we can't, you know, and especially you know, autonomous mobility services, we can't just let companies just go and throw this stuff out on the road because we're going to end up with too many vehicles that are underutilized and, and we're going to make congestion worse. And, you know, I think what we need to do is look at, you know, how we manage how many of these vehicles, how many, you know, how many companies are operating in a given city and then how they, you know, the generate, you know, provide some rules of the road, you know, do, I think, you know, we can do things like, you know, provide some racks to put these things, you know, to put these things in instead of just leaving them, you know, laying on the sidewalk. You know, I think we can, we can do things like create protected bike lanes, you know, so that rather than just have a painted bike lane on the side of the road, actually put a curb, on the you know on there that actually separates the bike lane from the the traffic lane and have bikes and and get bikes and scooters on those because a conference i was at yesterday um i was talking to uh uh somebody who was down at south by southwest earlier this week they had some, a bunch of mobility stuff going on and he said you know you couldn't walk around the sidewalks because there was so many people riding scooters on the sidewalks instead of riding them on the street because you don't want to ride them on the street with with the cars. Yeah, I think the natives yeah. got um, so, kind of upset about that. Yeah, so you know, I think I think you need things like protected bike lanes that scooters and bikes are allowed to use, and you know, then they're kept separate from both the pedestrian traffic and the cars. Uh, you know, so I, I think I think we need to have some kind of some kind of way to manage these and coordinate these services. Uh, but I, I think, you know, I, I do support the idea of it. You know, and then, of course, there's the whole idea of the business, the whole problem of the business model around these things. I think I saw um, like Bird, for example, they were saying they may have said uh, that, uh, you know, they generate about three or three fifty a ride in revenue uh, from the scooters. But right now it's costing them about twenty eight dollars per ride. Because the scooters are only lasting about two or three months before they have to be replaced, um, you know, because they've either been damaged or worn out or stolen. Um, you know, so, you know, that's that's a real issue, too. Yeah, people aren't, you know, there's not an etiquette to these. I mean, it's, it's you know, kind of like when you think about shopping carts, you know, people don't care about shopping carts because you don't have any equity stake in a shopping cart. So you, you leave it on the street, you leave it wherever is convenient for you. 
and you rarely come back to that same shopping cart. Well, see, and now I always put the shopping cart in the thing where it's supposed to go. I, I'm not saying this is my behavior. <laughs> okay. I'm saying this is the general public. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I will so yell at people from behind closed sucks. windows. Yeah. You know, I'll see them, I'll see them just like leave their cart there and I'll make sure the window's up first and then I'll start bad-mouthing the person who's lazy. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I really don't want a confrontation, but like, um, yeah, I, I, I think that there's a general lack of courtesy, like you say, like with how people use them, but also how they've been um, sort of just deployed like... Uh, Right. You know, quote unquote, disruptively, right? Like these companies are just flouting any kind of responsibility. Like we're just going to put these things out there like a swarm of bugs in the, in the, you know, the urban environment and, uh, and hope for the best. Yeah, like we're not going to yeah. check with regulators. And so they got, they got themselves kicked out of a bunch of towns. Um, you know, even here in, in, uh, I think like Cambridge and Somerville, they, they, <laughs> they got themselves banned until they actually went through like the permitting process and, and they said, no, no. Yeah, well, San, San Francisco did the same. Yeah. You know, they said, okay, you can't put these things out here. You know, you've got to apply for a permit. We're going to give permits to, to only two companies. And, you know, so, you know, put in your applications in the next 30 days and then we'll, we'll figure out who's, who's going to be allowed to operate. And they set a bunch of rules and, you know, that's, I think it's made it better. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think there's still there's still a lot of problems. Well, I mean, San Francisco's got a lot of problems. Anyway. Yeah. So, but it's yeah. like if you're losing, okay, if you're losing nearly twenty five dollars per ride for your thing, like it, that's come, insane. That's not sustainable. Like, well, you can make it up in volume, though. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, but that's the, so. That's my question. Is like um, thinking about Ford specifically, like their investment. You know, they I they have very clearly admitted, like, hey, you know what? Our, we're a light truck company and that's why our cars went away because that's, we're making the money on the light trucks. It doesn't make any sense to continue to build cars that we're going to have a hard time getting people to buy and we're going to have to discount them anyway. So we're going to lose money on them. So let's just stop making them. Um, that makes sense. But to see them say like, oh, scooters are this thing. It's like, no, guys, come on. You're Ford. Like you, you have the um, ability to be more effective than these, these upstart companies at, um, you know, working with local governments and, and even lobbying on a federal level, uh, you can build big stuff. Like how about you build some freaking buses and trains and help get that stuff settled? Uh, you know, versus nobody scooters. wants buses and trains. And, well, yeah, they won't, they only, they only want scooters because they think they want scooters too. Like I, I get it. And it's not, it's, it doesn't have to be just one mode either. Um, you know, you got to get people to the urban core from the suburbs uh, until people start buying in the urban core, which, you know, it's gentrifying. You can't. So we're seeing this this weird population flip right from the urban core. They're, they're moving out to the suburbs because the people gentrifying the cities are moving in from the suburbs. Anyway, I'm on a tangent now, like we talked about. <laughs> uh, but uh yeah, multimodal transportation is going to be the thing, and and so scooters are, yeah, I think they they are a viable you know part of that. But uh, to watch that whole other sector be ignored by a car company who's trying to figure out where they're going to fit in the next fifteen or twenty years, it's like, well, you know, there might be more demand for for this big stuff too. And right now, if we need train cars, where do they come from? China uh bombardier in canada sometimes like do we build any of that stuff domestically i don't think so it's a question I don't know. yeah no we, we don't yeah so there i'm sorry i didn't, didn't mean to rant 
That's what we're here it for. It felt good. <laughs> as long as it was good for you. Yeah, yeah. I'm <laughs> satisfied now. <laughs> um, so, yeah. All right. Well, we've covered uh, quite a bit of ground. I don't know that we got any questions. Um, um, no, we didn't get any questions, uh, but uh, we do have uh, one PSA. Um uh, a public service announcement. Uh, right now, as we're recording, uh, Elon Musk is unveiling the oh, yeah. uh, Tesla Model Y. Yes. Um, as in, like, and, you know, of, of course, the, the live stream started about a half hour late, which, you know, it, it is Tesla. So, uh, you know, that's actually pretty good time for them. Um, but I just, I just want to, you know, to, to all our listeners out there, you know, whether you like the Model Y or not, and decide if you decide you want one, I just suggest one thing. Think about what happened to, you know, with all of the, the Model 3 orders that, you know, pre-orders that people placed. They put down $1,000 deposits. And uh, and then, you know, by the time Tesla, you know, actually started generating some serious, building some serious volumes of the Model 3, they basically ditched the whole pre-order system. So putting down your deposit on the first day or the first week did nothing to get you a Model 3 any faster. Uh, so, you know, if you want a Model Y, no problem. Go ahead, get one. But wait until they actually start building them and delivering to customers. Don't bother putting down a deposit. Now no, no, and, no. You know, Listen, and- Elon needs your money. That's yeah. he. You got to give him the money. And you, you know what? You're going to have to put down your deposit. Which what's it going to be for the Y? Do we know? Because it was a thousand dollars for oh, three. Yeah, I'm sure. It'll, I'm sure it'll be a thousand. Okay, so a thousand bucks. Yeah. Like you know what? Um, slap that on a credit card. So that the um, the credit card industry actually becomes a large unsecured investor <laughs> in Tesla. I think they're going to love that. Oh yeah, <laughs> sure. Build cars well, that are never going to well, come no, to market they, with they, our money. They, they they won't care because you, as the card holder, will be re- responsible for it. Not not the credit card company or Tesla. Yeah, I guess I. You 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 as the individual will be the unsecured creditor. Right. Yeah. With no equity or no, no, that's look. If you yeah. want to invest in Tesla, just invest in Tesla. Although I mean, I understand like a, a thousand bucks doesn't buy you much of their stock. Um, yeah, I I don't know. Uh, I will be surprised if the Y ever actually makes it to market. Uh, everything I've seen over the last I don't know three months from Tesla just seemed like a stunt, like stunt <laughs> after the stunt. last three the last three weeks. No, I, right, like it's just it seems to be getting worse. Like. These yeah. are just stunts to obfuscate. I don't know. Um, yeah, all right. all right. Well, I think we're... we're I'm, I don't want to start another rant. Let's call it a yeah. show. <laughs> um, all right. Well, that's good. If uh, you want to leave us some uh, feedback, it's uh, on on the... Uh, there's the form on the site. There is uh, wheelbearings at... Uh, wheelbearingscast at gmail.com. Um, you can find us on Twitter, Twitter. Uh, all of the other regular channels uh, we are available individually and uh, we'll see everybody next week alright see ya see ya you know how to book flights and hotels all you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive that's why you need Viator book guided tours activities excursions and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. 
Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real Traveler Reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.